You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by God's Word. In this message, Pastor John opens up our new series, Church on Mission. We apologize for the sound quality of this particular sermon. The eleven disciples traveled to to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped and some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. The word of God. Why are you here? Why are you here at church? What's your purpose for being part of this church? Some people would say community. I I love the relationships. I love being known. And I love others knowing me. Amen? God created us as relational beings. He's a relational being. And we have to be in community. So community is a wonderful answer, and I think we do a good job at this church of being in relationship. Someone said they come to church to learn, like they really love learning about the Bible, they're like in the classes that we're getting to offer, and they're learning more about God. Amen. That's awesome. We want to be a church that teaches people about God. And some of you would still say, I go to church because it's just, I've done it forever. I go to church on Sundays. I've done that since I was a kid. And I really actually appreciate that because in a culture that's moving further and further away from seeing church as important, I love that people just say, I want to show up and I want to be part of the momentum of this church. And so I love that people say, I just go, I want to go. But here's an interesting question. Why does Jesus have us here? Why does Jesus have us here at this church? I mean, we're gathering together to worship Jesus, but what does he want us to do after we gather? Why does he have this church here, or any church anywhere for that matter? Jesus has gathered this church for mission. Jesus Christ has gathered this church here at this time, in this place, in this city, for mission. Say mission. Jesus has gathered New City Fellowship for God's mission. New City Fellowship isn't a building, it's a people. And Jesus has gathered this people together right here to take part in God's mission. Because God is a God who is on mission and draws people into his mission. God has always had a plan that he is orchestrating and working out and executing and drawing people into and calling people into this mission and then sending them out with the mission from the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, God makes man in his own image according to their their likeness and says they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. When God first creates man and woman, 
He makes them with dignity and honor in his own image, but then immediately he gives them a mission. Go, fill the earth with my glory. Rule the earth. Be my little kings and queens and extend the borders of Eden. Eden. This is called the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. Adam and Eve are commissioned with the task of filling up the earth with children and culture and a life lived under the glory of God. From the very beginning, God has a mission that he calls people into. But what happened? Adam and Eve rebel, right? They don't listen to God. They do exactly what God tells them not to do. And the creation gets broke because of their failure. And because of their, they're our first parents, we inherit their sinful nature. Creation is still broke. We're still broke. Things don't work the way they're supposed to. We still have hearts that participate in the rebellion against God. And that's what we see in the following chapters, right after Adam and Eve sinned. The creation just spirals out of control. Man and woman shift blame on each other because they feel ashamed. Their children kill each other, and their descendants oppress each other. The only thing that brings people together is their unity and rebellion against God. And God is a righteous judge and separates himself from sin and sinners, but he doesn't stop being a God who loves mission and has a mission for this broken world. Despite how sinful and broken the world is, God stays as a God on mission. In Genesis 12, he calls Abraham and says this, Go out from your land and your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless, them, bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Humanity is in full-on-out rebellion against God. And God's no pushover. God judges sin, and yet at the same time, he commits himself to mission. I will be, bring blessing into this broken world and even to people who rebel against me. And so he calls Abraham into that mission and sends him out to start this new family, this new tribe that's going to be a blessing and take on God's mission in this rebellious, sinful world. And this mission is so important to God that he repeats it to each of Abraham's descendants, to Isaac and Jacob. He says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And that's really amazing that God includes him in this mission because Abraham's family is really jacked up. It's a messed up family full of deceit and lies, trickery. We see that even in the story of Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph's brothers trick him and they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And the story seems to go on sideways, but God still is on mission. And he puts Joseph in the right place at the right time so that Joseph rises to power in Egypt so he can be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And you know the story. Joseph prepares the nation of Egypt for a famine. Why? So that Joseph's family can be a blessing to the nations around them. Even through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that messed up family, God still calls them into his mission. And through the blessing of Joseph, preparing for the famine, many lives are saved. Joseph's descendants are enslaved in Egypt 400 years. But God delivers them from, the, from their oppression. He forms them into this new nation called Israel. And he gives them this promised land. He blesses them. 
Why? Because he has a mission for them. Their mission is to be a light to the surrounding nations. Israel is put in this place where they're in the middle of all these other countries. And God says, I will live and dwell among you. You're going to be my special people. I'm going to live in the temple. Why? Because you're going to be a light to the surrounding nations around you. You're on a mission. Your mission is to show people who I am. He blesses Israel so that they might be a blessing to the surrounding nations and that they might know that their God is the one true God. Israel fails miserably. Rather than being like a light to the nations, they are just like the other nations. They don't worship the one true God. They oppress one another. They don't display the glory of God to the nations. But yet, God is still on a mission. Just because Israel failed at God's mission does not mean that God put his mission aside. He has always had a plan that he's working out and executing and drawing people into and then sending them out to engage the mission. His mission is to make himself known in this broken, rebellious, sinful world and to reconcile the world to himself. God has always been on a mission to rescue mankind from their sin and from their separation from him. And he is committed to renew and restore a world that has been broken by sin. Because God is a God on a mission. Theologians call this the missio Dei. And that's just Latin for the mission of God. And they had to come up with a phrase for it because all throughout scripture, God is on mission. So it begs the question, how do you think about God? Do you think of him as like a tired grandpa in a rocking chair? Do you think about God as sort of some aloof deity who's unconcerned with the brokenness of this world? Is God a bored artist who made the world but then lost interest in it? How do you see God? Do you understand that God looks at the world and goes, I'm on a mission? He looks at our city and he has a purpose that he wants to work out in it. He looks at your street and he wants to bring his redemption to it. He sees your family and says, I will use them in my mission. And he looks at you and says, come join me in my mission. God is a God on mission. He is anything but tired, anything but aloof, anything but bored. Rather, he has always been tirelessly, tirelessly, creatively, actively working out his mission in this broken world. And that, my friends, is why he sends Jesus. Precisely because he has a plan, he's on a mission. He wants to restore or renew a broken world and draw those who are far from him to himself. God is on a mission and sends Jesus to take part in that mission. In fact, the word mission in Latin is related to the word send, sending on a mission. They're synonymous. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is sent by the Father. God, in his great love for us, looked down and saw our sin and our separation. He saw the mess that the world was. He saw the brokenness in our world. And he sent the Son to die in our place. Knowing that no human being was good enough by God's standards, God sent his good and cherished son, Jesus, to come and save us. Jesus was sent and was on a mission to bring salvation. 
In fact, this is what the most famous Bible verse is really about. It's a, it's a Bible verse about mission and sending. In John 3, Jesus says, Everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Did you catch Jesus say the word sin? What's interesting, throughout the book of John, John records how Jesus talks about himself. And Jesus is almost a little obsessive in referring to himself as one who was sent, one who was on mission from the Father. Listen to this. Jesus says, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, sent me has eternal life. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Those are just four verses, but there were dozens of verses where Jesus talks about himself as the one who God Sent. Jesus was sent on mission and this permeated his understanding of himself. In God's great love for sinners, the Father had sent the Son to earth. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, comes on a mission to die in the place of the unrighteous. He's put on the cross. He's punished in our place. He rises from the dead and therefore he is successful on his mission. He accomplished what he was sent to do. He died for our sins and he was raised for us to have in life. And those who turn away from their sins and trust him are reconciled to God because Jesus accomplished his mission. So it begs the question, have you received Jesus, the sinner, the one who came on mission to bring salvation to you? When someone comes, when someone sends you a gift through the mail, the delivery man brings it from his truck and leaves it on your front doorstep and knocks. But you have to open the door and receive that and make it your own by faith. And it's there for you. But you have to own it. You have to open the door and take that package in. Jesus was sent by the Father and he stands at the door of your heart and knocks and says to you, I have fulfilled my mission to bring salvation to you. I have died for your sins. I have been resurrected to bring you new life. Will you turn away from your sins and let me in? Will you open the door of, the, of your heart? Will you trust me? You're waiting for God to do something in your life. I'm not just something that God does. I am the someone that God has sent to you. Trust me and let me in. Jesus was sent for you. And the amazing thing is, is that if you, by repentance and faith, open the door to Jesus, he comes in, he renovates your life, but then he sends you right back out. As messed up and broken as you are, Jesus says, guess what? You're now part of my mission. I'm going to send you right back out. After Jesus' resurrection, his followers, who weren't very faithful in the moment and weren't very honest about their following of Jesus, Jesus meets with them and says this in John 20. Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, 
I also send you. So even in Jesus' understanding of himself being sent by God, Jesus looks at you and says, I'm sending you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, he has sent you. That's how he views you. You're on a mission. You've been sent. Mission is not just something that we do, that we come up with. It's Jesus' understanding of who he's created us to be. In other words, the church isn't just looking for something to do. Jesus has a mission that he has made us as a church to participate in. The church is a missional organization by nature. And when the church loses its sense of mission, it really loses what it means to be the church. Jesus made the church for his mission in the world. It's not that Jesus made the church and said, what should I give them to do? Rather, Jesus had a mission and he makes the church through his work on the cross to engage that mission and own that mission and participate in that mission and see that mission as their very reason for existing. Well, what is the mission? What is he sending us to do? Where is he sending us? And how are we supposed to do it? That's where our passage from today comes in. Our passage today from Matthew 28 is when Jesus steps onto the scene after his resurrection and he's about to ascend in power to the right hand of God, but he gives his followers the great commission, the great co-mission. A commission is when someone clearly states out what you are supposed to do, but then gives you the authority to do it. The great commission. And the church's task is to carry on this great commission wherever they're at, wherever we find ourselves. Our job, our mission is the great commission. Well, what is it? Let's read it again. Jesus came here and said that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Say go. Go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. First of all, what is Jesus sending us to do? Like, what's our job? Is it to get people to come to church? That's a great goal, but is that the mission? Is it to get people to stop doing bad things? Well, that'd be good, but is that the mission? No, Jesus sends us for this, to make disciples. To make disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus, and the church's mission is to tell people about King Jesus and invite them and call them to become a follower of Jesus and receive Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and become a disciple of King Jesus. Jesus sends us as a church, right here, right now, to make disciples. Where does Jesus send us to make disciples? Where does he send us? Well, he tells his followers to go to all nations. The word for nations is ethnic, where we get the word ethnicity. And we are told to go to all. You remember a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Darren came and preached, and he kept repeating that word, pas, all. Panta ethne in his particular passage, all people. Jesus is telling his 11 disciples, mostly Middle Eastern Jews, to go and make disciples of Panta ethne, all people. 
And to go to all people, you have to go to all places. In other parts of scripture, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then at the ends of the earth. You're going to go to all places. So what Jesus is telling us is the scope of us making disciples is all people in all places. The mission is all people in all places. Jesus sends us to make disciples of all people in all places. Why do we do that? What actions do we take? Like, what does it look like to break it down? Jesus tells us, go, baptize, teach. Go, baptize, teach. Go. The disciples would go throughout Jerusalem, and as the church grew, it would go beyond Jerusalem to Judea, and then Samaria, and then eventually the ends of the earth. And what's amazing is that's actually why we were here today, because they went. In other words, in their minds, they would not have even known that it was possible to cross an ocean. And they would not even understood about this continent. But because they went and people went after them and went and went and went, go, go, go. The gospel has come to us and we're sitting in this room here today. Because people 2,000 years ago heard Jesus say, go. And they went and shared the good news. Too often the church doesn't go. I mean, we gather to worship Jesus, but we don't scatter with the good news. We get too comfortable. These chairs are cushioned. They're comfortable to sit and we like to sit in. And we forget that the call is, yes, come worship together, but then go scatter with the good news to reach all people. Last week, we gathered to worship. <laughs> we went down to the Fort Lauderdale Airport Greenbelt Park to be together. People started saying, you know, it looks like rain. And I said, no, I'm fine. The weather report, I looked at it. I'm good to go. And then it hit. And it hit pretty instantly. And it didn't just rain. I mean, it dumped. And it came off like this. And what was amazing was this nice little church family was loving and loving each other. It was like, every man for himself, run! <laughs> and everyone was drenched and scattered. And we know we did help each other get to the cars, but it was hilarious. That party got broke up in like 30 seconds. But actually, that's a good image of what it means to be the church. We come together. We love, we love one another. We spend time together. We worship Jesus together. But then we go. We scatter. We go back into our homes, back into our workplaces, back into our neighborhoods as representatives of Jesus. We go, we gather, but we scatter. We do this to tell people about Christ. Too often I think people say, well, I like going to church, but I'm afraid to go because I'm not sure I know what to say. They're probably not interested. And so we say no for people. John Orberg says we don't go because we've already said no for people. The amazing thing, though, is I actually think you have a power in your story, as Jesus works in your story, that even I don't have. Sometimes people come to me and they'll ask me questions because I'm a pastor. They want to, like, stump me or bring me a hard question that they need an answer for. Uh, but I think people are more moved by your story. By your story. They're looking for something authentic and real. 
And you actually have a power as you go and share about how Jesus has affected you and what he's done in your life that I don't think I have. They want to hear about how you're struggling, but Jesus is helping, to make, helping you make it through. They want to see how you're becoming more loving and joyful over time because of the presence of Jesus in your life. They want to hear about how messed up you were, and if you're honest, still are, but yet Jesus has forgiven you and is changing you right now. They want you to share your real story about how Jesus is really working in your real life. And that has power. So come. Go. And as you go and tell, we will see people turn away from their sins and find Christ for themselves and be rescued from God's wrath and become part of God's family. And we're already seeing it happen in this church. Then what? After we go and after we see people come to Christ, what does Jesus say next? Go baptize. Go and baptize. Jesus tells us to baptize. Baptism is a public demonstration of an inward spiritual reality. It's a sign of sins being washed away and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that we're to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, is that just some wordy ritual? Is that like, let's just throw some words on top of that? No, it's deeply significant that Jesus tells us to baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because when a sinner repents and believes and is baptized, the names of the three persons of the Trinity are spoken over them. Because they are being sealed by that name into the family of God. It's not just that the person being baptized is making a public declaration to God, God, in your baptism, is making a public declaration to you that you are part of his family, and his name is sealed over you. Just like my wife took my name when we were married, and now we belong to each other. So in baptism, when we say in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God is telling the per person baptized that they belong to him. That's amazing. That's amazing. Don't you want that for your friends and family? I mean, don't you want them to hear in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? You're part of God's family. Don't you want that for the people in your workplace? I hope that we can have many celebrations right here at this church of people who have turned away from their sins and say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to hear God's name declared over me. But it doesn't stop there. The mission of making disciples is going, baptizing, but then also teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. When a person comes to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in them, something changes where they're actually hungry to bring themselves under the commands of Jesus. It's really weird. In a world and a culture where we're like, I'm doing it my way, when God starts to work in you, you go, what does Jesus want me to do? Like, where did that come from? I've lived my whole life running the show, but all of a sudden when the Holy Spirit is in me, I want to know what Jesus thinks about things. I, I, I want to know what Jesus thinks about sexuality and money and love and worship and work and family and raising kids. What does Jesus want me to do? 
you remember when we had our first service here in the building back in March? I preached this sermon on surrendering to King Jesus, which is basically letting Jesus run your life. And uh, someone came up to me after the service and said, hey, I'm ready. And I said, what, what are you ready for? They said, I'm ready to do that. That's surrender thing that you talked about. I said, what do you mean? And they said, I'm ready to like surrender my life and let Jesus run it. I said, really? Really? You're like, right now, you're ready. They're ready. And I said, you know you're a sinner? This person said, yes. I said, you know you need forgiveness? Yes. You know you've been running your life? And they said, yes. But you're ready to let Jesus be in charge of your life? They said, yes. I'm ready to surrender. And I said, amen. Amen. And right then and there, we prayed for this person to receive Jesus into their life. It's amazing what happens when Christ comes into your life. You no longer want to run it like you did. You want to let him do it. You want to observe what he commands. And we still have sin in us that we have to fight off, but there's this new demeanor towards Jesus. Sometimes I want to be in charge, but in general, my life has taken a different direction where I now want to be taught what Jesus commands, and I want to do that. That's this longing in my heart, and I grieve when I don't do it, and that's why we confess our sins on every Sunday, because sometimes we don't want to do it, but God has changed us. And so part of making disciples is going, baptizing, but also teaching people what Jesus commands. Commands. And in our mission to make disciples, it is our job to teach each other what Jesus teaches. It's our joy to disciple one another in the ways of Jesus. Moms, let me encourage you just for a minute of this. Do you know who I think are the most hand-on disciple makers in the church? We're all responsible for discipling one another. But I think the most hands-on disciples, the people who disciple others the most, is mothers. Is mothers. In general, moms spend more time in a teaching relationship with than anybody else, because they're with their kids. They're with their kids. Now dads, our role is just as important. Don't hear me say it's not important. But in general, moms spend the most amount of time in this teaching relationship with their children. Moms are constantly hands-on teaching their kids. And your tendency, moms, will be to downplay the importance of that. It's really important. Jesus is using you mothers to disciple your kids. And as you teach them about life, you teach them to have somewhat good manners, you teach them to try and do their chores, you have an awesome opportunity to teach them about Jesus and what he commands. And if you're just learning to follow Jesus yourself, you still have an awesome opportunity to share with them what you're learning and to shape them and to see themselves as on mission and following Jesus. When a neighbor moves onto your street or into your apartment complex, you can take your kids over to meet them and greet them and ask your neighbor in front of your kids, is there anything that I can pray for you for in the name of Jesus? And all of a sudden, something goes off in your kid's head. They see that you're teaching them about the power of prayer in Jesus' name and you're reaching out in love to your neighbors as part of Jesus' mission. When your child comes home and says there's a bully at school, and you teach them how to boldly stand up for those who are weak, but to do so with love, firmness, and forgiveness. 
You're teaching them about Jesus' concern for the vulnerable and about Jesus' command to love and forgive their enemies. When you pray with your kids first thing in the morning and before they fall asleep at night, you're teaching them to frame their whole day under the care of Jesus. Aren't you have an awesome opportunity? Keep at it. I know that it is hard at times, but you are the main disciples in, of our children in the ways of Jesus. If you're struggling right now, you don't know where to start. Ask another mom. Ask another mom. Look at our church without judging. And if you need prayer, fill out a prayer card. We'd love to pray for you. Because you have an incredible role. And God's Spirit wants to fill you in order to see your children as disciples of Jesus on mission. We're on this mission together to make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. Can we own that church? Can we say that's why we're here? New City exists to be on God's mission. Sean Hagman was a young man who had a history of drugs, hanging with the wrong crowd, dropping out of school, and his criminal record was expanding. In 1996, Sean traveled to Rochester, Minnesota to see an old friend. And Sean and his friend went with another group of friends that night to an apartment complex. And at that apartment complex, many Somali refugees lived. But the group that Sean was with was going there for revenge. Because just the night before, one of the Somalians had beat up one of the group members that Sean was with. And so these guys that Sean was with went baseball bats. And they got there to the apartment complex that night and found that the Somali kids were waiting for them with golf clubs. You can imagine what happened. Things got crazy and one of the Somali kids was severely injured. Everyone scattered and the police arrived there but everyone was gone. And because Sean and the guys he was with there were white and because Racial tensions in Rochester were growing, and because they went there to attack those kids, and those kids were black, it was classified in the biggest way possible as a racial gang crime. Now, Sean fought that night. He was definitely there. But he did not attack that one kid. But because he was from out of town, that group of guys used him as a scapegoat, and they all turned on him. Sean was arrested, he was taken to jail, he was sent to trial and pronounced guilty when none of the other guys were arrested. Sean was sentenced to 11 years in prison. He was part of it, but he did not commit the crime that he said they committed. Still a messed up guy, and yet at the same time didn't deserve the 11 years where the other guys had done the Shortly after entering the prison, a visitor went to see Sean, and the visitor was one of the men from the jury, one of the very men who had sentenced him. Sean thought that maybe the man was there to give him a new trial, but the man was there just to check out on Sean, just to be friendly. Sean remembers and says this, he introduced himself as Dave Stinsley, a clinical psychologist. He had driven four hours just to see me and to find out how I was doing. And when he stood up to leave, I felt disappointed, but Dave promised to come again soon. And Dave, the juror, did. Dave, the juror, went back to see Sean again, and went back to see Sean again, and again, and again, and again. And each time that he would come, Dave would talk to Sean about life, 
the stress of living in prison, and Dave's faith in Jesus. And that's what became most important to Sean about Dave. Sean would later say, he showed me the peace of someone who was close to God, but in everything he did and said, he was gentle, because he shared Christ's love with me consistently through the years. I began to open up more to the Lord. For seven years, Dave went to visit Sean. Sean studied the Bible with Dave, and slowly, he began to change. Dave went over and over and spent time with Sean and talked with Sean, and eventually prayed with Sean to receive Jesus Christ into his life. And Sean continued to change. Until one day, Dave's wife called Sean in prison and said, I have some bad news. Dave has cancer, and he only has weeks to live. Dave talked with Sean on the phone, and a few weeks later, Sean talked with Dave on the phone as he was in his last moments and was able to say goodbye, and Dave passed away a short time later. But a year passed by, and Sean was released early. His life has been changed by Christ, and he was released early. But he struggled to find a job. He was tempted to become bitter, but then he'd stop and think about the love of Christ that Dave showed him. And how Dave consistently went and went and went and spent time with him and spent time with him and taught him about Jesus. And that kept Sean on the street and narrow. Sean eventually did get a job. He became employed as a software developer and now sees himself on the mission of Jesus. Because he knows what it's like, he reaches out to those who are struggling and discouraged, especially young people, because he's able to share his story about what Jesus did. And it's had this amazing ripple effect because one person, Dave, took seriously the call to go and make disciples and be on mission. Dave saw himself as sent by Jesus into that prison to reach Sean with the gospel. And so Dave went and he went and he shared his life in a radically changed Sean's future. In fact, Sean even said this, he said, I didn't realize that I had a racial prejudice until Christ came into my life. And then something radical happened when Christ came into my life, and I began to have this desire to connect with people that were totally different than me. All that because Dave said, I'm on a mission from God. I'm sent. I see someone there. I'm going to reach them with Christ's love. I see them as a future disciple of Jesus. I'm going to sit down with them. I'm going to love them. And I'm going to care for them. New city. Because of how Jesus has loved us and forgiven us and is with us, let's do the same. We're on a mission from God. We're sent by Jesus. You are sent. Jesus, who has all authority, sends us and goes with us. Jesus tells us that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is Lord. And yet he's with us till the end of the age. The king of all promises to be present with his church on mission. We aren't doing this alone, but with Jesus in our presence by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He commissions us on this mission, but then is present with us as we carry it out until the day he returns and makes all you see, we're on a mission. Sent by Jesus to make disciples of all nations. 
Let us do so boldly with great hope in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for coming. Father, thank you for sending the Son. Jesus, thank you for sending the Spirit to be with us. And thank you for the promise that you will be with us to the end of the age. This little church here, these people, you're present with us. Amen. You're leading us. You're guiding us. Help us not to shrink down the mission that you call us to. Embolden us and empower us. Would you stand and sing?